Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sharing the Journey for March. This month, I am here with my friend Tracy, who I met through Johnny and Friends Camp, where she was a volunteer, and uh, she's going to share her story of uh, living with what I guess would probably be considered by most people a minor disability. I don't know. Um, minor is sort of you know, I mean, <laughs> anyways, um, hi, Tracy. Um, hi, yeah, let's get started. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself currently, and then we'll jump into your life okay. story. Well, I am Tracy Davis. I am married, and I live down in Southern Oregon in a town called Medford, and um, I have no children. Um, never did have any children. I was married kind of late in life at about age 35. And my husband was also older than me. So we didn't have any kids. We do have cats. And our cats are named after characters from the TV show Friends. So that's a little <laughs> interesting tidbit for you. Scooter didn't like that. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so tell us what your disability, if you consider it one is and, um, yeah. Sure. Well, I was born in 1967. That's the year that, um, Johnny Erickson Tata was in her, um, accident and broke her neck just for reference sake. Um, and I was born with a a really rare uh -huh. congenital bony um, defect in my spine that caused me to progressively have worsening scoliosis as I grew. So it's in my thoracic spine, up in my chest area. Um, and when it was discovered when I was nine months old, my mother was giving me a bath and noticed that I had um, some funny ribs in my chest and this deformity in my back. So I went to, uh, I was taken to Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland from the age of nine months old until I was 18 years old, about every six to nine months, I was seen at the Child Development and Rehabilitation Center. I had back surgery when I was three, when I was 11, and when I was 15. When I was three years old, I wore a Milwaukee brace, which is the classic typical scoliosis brace that people may have seen um, in movies made in the 80s. Um, and I wore one of those also when I was 11 years old. So um, all through my growing up years, um, I, I had this um, it's a pretty visible disability. So if you could see me, Shelly, you would notice that my left shoulder is lower than my right shoulder and that my back is crooked, that I lean to the left. Um, the main effect that it has on my life is um, it, it um, constricts my lung capacity. So they estimate that I have approximately a 50% 50, 50 lung capacity. That means that I can't run, I can't exercise really aggressively. Um, walking is fine, but Shelly walks a little too fast for me sometimes. 
um, I have to run with my little legs to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not true anymore, but probably not true anymore, but it was at some time. Yeah. The first couple of years I went to camp, I was moving pretty fast and then I, the arthritis got worse. And anyway, yeah. um, yeah, fun, fun. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your childhood, your growing up years, your early faith influences, if there were any. And Sure. I was raised in a really small town in the Hood River Valley of Oregon. It's a beautiful, beautiful country, a really small town, rural um, America. Um, and because it was a small town, everybody knew everybody. Um, one of those small towns. We went to a we went to a church every week. It was a Presbyterian church. Um, we were good friends with the pastor's family. And um, when when I was being raised, um, if you did anything wrong out in the community and somebody saw you, you would definitely be in trouble because word <laughs> would get back to your mom. So there was no hiding anything. <laughs> So when I was um, when I was in grade school, my mother did a really great job of talking to my friends about my disability. She would go into school on the first day of school and she would explain about my back and draw pictures on the on the chalkboard. And so consequently, my friends really um, didn't have any questions for me whatsoever about um, my back. Um, we would play on the playground and I just wouldn't ever get any questions about why I had to wear a brace or why I was crooked or anything like that. Um, so I really had an idyllic childhood, I would say. Um, as far as faith influences go, I did uh, attend church regularly, like I said. We went to Sunday school. I remember learning um, Christian songs. I remember learning about communion. Um, my parents didn't let us take communion until we could explain what communion meant. And so at a pretty young age, I knew that the, the bread represented the body of Christ and the grape juice represented the blood of Christ and it was shed for us. Um, so I had that working knowledge of what, what you need to know to be saved. But I don't remember ever hearing just a straightforward presentation of the gospel and an invitation to accept Jesus as my personal savior um, and forgiving my sins. So um, it was when I went to a church camp when I was about nine years old with my best friend that I actually prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. Um, and that's a funny story, Shelley. Um, we were at the campfire and one of the counselors had just given a really great presentation about the gospel. And then they said, if anybody wants to pray to accept Jesus in your heart, go ahead and come up and talk to one of the counselors and they'll pray with you. And I was just sitting there minding my own business, barely paying attention <laughs> when my best friend got up and walked away and talked to a counselor. And I looked around and thought, where is Lisa going? So I got up and went and talked to a counselor too. So I just 
pray to prayer then um, because somebody asked me if I wanted to and accepted Jesus in my heart. <laughs> sure, why not? I guess I'll do that. <laughs> why not? Let's do it. <laughs> Has there ever been a time when you've felt you needed to recommit because that wasn't uh, completely necessarily the most sincere thing or did it? <laughs> That's a really good question. I definitely have thought of that. In fact, when I was in college and people would ask me to share my testimony and I really didn't know what they even meant by a testimony, mm. I didn't remember that I had ever accepted Jesus in my heart um, until just one day, I guess the Lord brought it to my mind and it was it was convenient to be able to refer to, oh, yes, I did pray a prayer when I was about 10. Um, but I would say that my, my conversion experience at that age did take, so to speak, in my heart. Because um, the next year, my parents uh, got divorced. Um, my father was an alcoholic. And he had been drinking and um charging a bunch of debt on our credit cards. And my mother uh, had um, a bunch of debt that was in both their names. So she ended the marriage. They got divorced. Um, we moved from that nice little town of Hood River to the Portland area on the west side of Portland. And that same year I had my second back surgery my mom had me get a really short pixie haircut so that we wouldn't have to wash my hair um, in the shower. We would wash it in the sink. So I felt um, ugly <laughs> and I had a, a back, a, a cast, a body cast on from my shoulders to my waist. So I started sixth grade in a body cast with an ugly haircut and no friends. Just the way everyone wants to start sixth grade. <laughs> oh yeah, what a great year. <laughs> well, I became a Christian in sixth grade. That's the only good thing I can say about sixth grade. The only yeah. good thing I can say. Yeah, yeah, so sixth grade's good for something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the bottom of the totem pole, Shelly. Nobody wanted to be my friend. I was too weird and too out there and not normal. Um, um, but God was really good at that time in my life. I really knew I was, I had a supernatural assurance that God loved me and cared about me and that it didn't matter what anybody else thought. Hmm. Um, and it didn't matter even if my mom noticed that I was sad and lonely. It didn't matter if my so-called friends noticed it. Um, it didn't matter if my teacher noticed, it only mattered that God noticed. So that reassurance um, of my salvation to me is evidence that I really was mm -hmm. saved at that time. Mm -hmm. hmm. Cool. So you survived sixth grade. Uh <laughs> mm -hmm. I did. And it, everything's uphill from there. Go down. <laughs> Every year was a little better. Junior high school, only half the people knew who I was. And then in high school, only a quarter of the people knew who I was. So every year, kind of the collective conscious forgot about me. 
<laughs> and my my weirdness and uh, went on with their own lives and left me alone. Oh, <laughs> alone. To, you know, um, high school was pretty good. I was involved in a lot of I was involved in a youth group and several Bible studies and had mm-hmm. quite a few friends in high school. Oh, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you went on to college and you studied nursing. And did yes. you start mission trips in college? Is that when you started doing that? Or that's suddenly that when I when I became interested in missions. Um, when I was in college, um, I went to nursing school from eighty six to eighty nine. Graduated in eighty nine. I had school um, debt, so um, I knew that I would have to pay off my school debt before I could consider going overseas. Um, But I remember hearing um, a sermon by Tony Campalo. He was saying, um, everybody asks, why should I go overseas? But I'm telling you, why should you stay? Um, Don't you realize that you could make such an impact in another country where there's only one doctor per you know, a million people instead of staying in a country where there's one doctor per a hundred people, you can make so much more impact in another country. And that, that really got me, got my wheels turning at that time. So when I finished paying off my student loans, which was in um, 92, that's when I started really considering um, looking into mission organizations and, and going, um, going overseas on short-term mission trips. So where did you go? I went to Bolivia, South America for two and a half years. And then after I got back from that trip, I also did two trips to Mexico that were only one week each. And I went to India three times with my um, home church um, that was in Beaverton at the time. So how did you end up there for two and a half years? That's not exactly short term. How did you, how did that all? <laughs> yeah, two and a half years doesn't sound short term, does it? No. Um, <laughs> it's short term when you compare that to a career. I suppose, yeah. But going yeah. overseas and then just staying there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was on a team that was compiled all of career missionaries. So oh. it was a really unique um, and interesting experience for me. So what did you do in Bolivia? I had the privilege of teaching um, groups of women and um, country uh, people, the common people who are not very educated about health information. Um, I got to teach them about um, healthcare topics like um, how to stay healthy, what are germs, um, and then we we combined the health talks with spiritual talks. Oh, okay. So we would talk about healthy living and healthy eating, how to nourish your body and how to nourish your spirit. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, and the language spoken there is Spanish, but the, the um, indigenous language is called Quechua. Um, hmm. So I worked with um, another nurse who translated for me. I would speak Spanish and then she would speak Quechua. Hmm. So how did, did you take Spanish in college or how did you? I did. I took Spanish 
for a total of six years. Between oh, wow. High school and college. Okay. So I knew a lot of Spanish, but I couldn't speak a lot of Spanish until I went and lived there. It was a really amazing combination The studying and um, speaking it at the same time really ingrains it in your brain. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So you, you also went to Mexico and India. Did you do the same kinds of things there? Yes. Okay. In Mexico, it was mainly doing, um, um, like Sunday school type classes, mm-hmm. uh, daytime Bible, Bible camps. One time we went with Amor Ministries and built a house. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. Okay. That was fun. And then in India, we did some um, clinics out in the countryside where we would um, take blood pressures, check um, blood sugars, and um, take chief complaints and then give out first aid um, and uh, that kind of thing. And then we also did health talks combined with spiritual talks. Mm-hmm. Um, equipping our partner, um, our partners in India to do the work in the villages that they were going to do. So that Mm. was a very strategic use of Mm -hmm. our time. Mm -hmm. Checking blood sugars right up your alley. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Blood pressures and and blood sugars. Although at first you weren't, you were a nurse for how many years? I calculated it the other day. I've been a nurse for 32 years and it's been exactly half of it in the hospital setting and half of it as a diabetes educator. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. That's how we met because I needed help with my blood sugar meter, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which was my, my fabulous God appointment that year. That was really fun teaching you how to do that. No, she has to listen to me whine about yeah my life but anyway um so how did you get involved with Johnny and Friends and Disability Ministries I got involved through my church I go to Bear Creek Church down here in Medford um Bear Creek Church is somewhat famous down here in our area because of our pastor Pastor Dale Metter he um, has been involved in Johnny and Friends down in Mission Springs since 2009 um, or, or maybe a year before that. And when he went to camp, he was petrified. He likes to tell the story. He went to all the um, training about disabilities and he was very nervous about his first um, buddy match with a friend with a disability. And then once he met his buddy, he just, he says he fell in love. He had a wonderful time hanging out with his friend. Um, But Pastor Dale only went to camp because his daughter wanted him to go and his wife could not go that year. So he kind of went kicking and screaming, being dragged by Anne. And he came back on fire for disability ministry. He couldn't get enough of it. And he um, preaches it from the pulpit um, and in our church. Um, so soon after that, I went to my first Johnny and Friends camp down in Mission Springs in 09. 
And then from 2010 um, is when the Oregon camp started. And I've been involved in the Oregon camp since that time. I have missed two or three years um, since then. And you served as what they call an STM, which is a short-term missionary, which is a buddy for a disabled camper. Yes. Um, I've also served on the medical team. Oh, that's right. You were a nurse. Both in Mission Springs and at um, Twin Rocks. Yeah. That's but right. I prefer being an STM. So um, tell me a little bit about what the STMs do and... Um, some of the disabilities you've worked with without revealing anything obviously confidential about your a specific camper, you right. know. Right. Um, what an STM does. So an STM, STM stands for short-term missionary. And the reason that we call volunteers STMs, I think, is because it puts an emphasis on the fact that you are going not just to be a volunteer, but to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, to a family affected by disability and that you're, it, it adds some weightiness to what you're doing. You're not just going to have fun and volunteer and um, build a house for a week or do a kid's program for a week. You're there to serve um, a family and put yourself aside. So that's why we're called STMs. Um, I have had the privilege of being um, a, person, a personal one-on-one -on -one buddy with um, adults with disabilities in the group that's called the Friendship Group. I've done that, I think it's been five or six times now. I've been paired with um, an adult with cerebral palsy, spina bifida, Down syndrome, um, and then a, a, an unnamed autism spectrum disorder. Um, and then one year I was paired with a baby from a family. Um, and so I was hanging out in the nursery. That was <laughs> equally fun. One time I was on the hospitality team. So I was helping with set up in the dining room. Mm -hmm. So um, so you hang out with, with the camper during the, the day and just be a buddy and- um, Yes. Oh, rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rain. The cat's back. <laughs> so when we go, um, we go on a let's see, what day is it? A Sunday. Yep. And for a day and a half, we get training, um, learning all about disabilities. And then on Monday afternoon, the campers arrive, and we find out who we're paired with. And you just hang out with your buddy all day long, from the time your buddy goes to breakfast in the morning. Um, until an afternoon break, you just spend time with your buddy and you're there. You're not there to babysit. You're not there to um, do your own thing. You're there to be a friend. You're also not there to be a personal care worker. There's no medical care involved. There's no personal care involved. Um, so um, you're, you're meant to spend time doing what your camper wants to do. Mm. Um, so any adult with a disability gets paired with an STM. Also any typical siblings 
that come from a family affected by disability, they also get a buddy. And again, their buddy's responsibility is to have fun with their camper and spend time with them. Yeah. Um, and I just have to say the matches are amazing. I've had wonderful STMs. I've seen some wonderful matches. Um, I know of a couple that maybe didn't work out for various reasons, but they, they pray about it and they do a really good job of, and God does a really good job of matching people. Yeah, God does an amazing <laughs> job. Um, you also have served as a buddy in your church in the Sunday school program. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that. Okay. So from 2009, when we came home from Mission Springs Camp, we started our church buddy program. And we mainly just provide a buddy during Sunday school. We have an integrated Sunday school. So um, your your um, camper in quotes, your friend goes to Sunday school to whatever class their parents prefer that they go to. And you're just there to accompany them, hang out with them and help them participate as much as possible. And um, I like to say that it's kind of a three pronged goal as a buddy. You, your most important priority is to make sure that your friend is safe. That's number one. And secondly, you want them to be engaged as much as possible in class, not just, um, not just attending just to, for the heck of it to be there. And then thirdly, if you can um, get uh, the gospel truth um, from what's being done in class into their mind and heart, then you, you do that as well. So pray for them. There have been times when my friend has been a little ramped up to stay in class. And so we'll go out in the hall and we'll read a book about God instead of doing the Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what, it's very similar to being at camp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are the rewards and challenges for you of doing both those ministries? Well, the challenge is always being nervous about the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. You go to camp and you hear all about all these disabilities and medically fragile people, and you can worry and fret about whether you're gonna be adequate for that situation. Um, but in my experience, when you step out um, into the unknown and you know that only God can meet those needs, that's when you get the privilege of seeing him work. Um, Second Corinthians 12, nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's my weakness, but it's God's um, strength. And that's what I see over and over and over again, both at camp and in Sunday school, when the people around me uh, aren't sure what they're doing, but they look to God, mm. then he, he steps in. 
cool. Um, so I guess, let's see, what time is it? Um, so um, what does it mean to you in your life today to have God's presence with you? What is it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, to have God's presence with me is means moment by moment when I'm not sure where my strength will come from, I look to God to be my strength. Um, and that doesn't have to be just big things. It's anything. Um, the little things that happen every day that overwhelm us are still things that we can look to God for. Mm. Um, who, who inspires is currently inspiring you in your faith journey? Anyone you would recommend us to look yeah, up? Like for? a book or a quote? Yeah. A book, a podcast, a pastor online. Well, it doesn't have to be online, but you know, who's. Um, I recently read a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And it is a book about the community of the body of Christ. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he died during World War II at the hands of Hitler. And he lived in a community setting for a number of years of his life. And that's when he wrote this book. But so he talks about the body of Christ, which is the church universal and how each one of us is such an important piece of the big picture of the body of Christ that we're, we're essential. And um, one of the things that stood out for me from the book was the concept of um, the service of bearing one another's burdens. And in his book, what he means by bearing one another's burdens is means um, if you, Shelly, rub me the wrong way about something because you're different from me. I'm sure that's I, happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that I need to bear. Uh, it's not something that I can write off and say that doesn't concern me or that's not important to me or why can't you be like this? Um, you are made not in my image, but in the image of Christ. You're being made in the image of Christ and I'm being made in the image of Christ. Thank, thank the Lord. You're not being made in my image. You're being made in the image of Christ. And so by participating in each other's lives in various ways that are outlined in the book, then we bear one another's burdens. We um, help one another. We support one another and we, bear the witness of Christ to the world through our community. So it was an excellent book. Yeah, sounds interesting. Um, final question, I think, um, unless something else comes to mind. Um, how has the Lord been working in you and through you recently? Or you can give an example from your past if you'd rather. But Okay. How's the Lord been working in me and through me recently? Yes. Well, in the last couple of weeks, I've really been struggling with some anxiety. Um, just because if I have a busy day 
a couple of appointments that I know are important and I'm nervous that I'm gonna miss them or I'm gonna forget something or I'm not gonna be prepared. And so um, when I'm feeling anxious, then I, again, I need to take a deep breath and, and use relaxation techniques. Um, I listen to hymns so that my thoughts are more God-centered. Mm-hmm. I listen to worship music. I pray. I remember scripture. And I also remember that God only promised me grace for this moment, not for the moment that's coming in two hours. Hmm. He said, my grace is sufficient for you right now. My grace will be sufficient for you in the next crisis that you face. Uh, Elise Fitzpatrick said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, God doesn't give us the grace for the things that we imagine will happen. He only gives us the grace for the things that really happen Hmm. and in the moment. So that's, that's uh, something that has always been really helpful for me to remember. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, it's easy to get started imagining all the what ifs and (laughs) yeah. She's on, um, she's on Twitter. You can follow her on Twitter. Oh, since I'm recreating my Twitter followers list, I might yeah. look her up. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about or? No, I think we covered everything. Right on. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Well, thank you. This has been good. 